0: Welcome to the Mastering Medicare podcast, where we demystify healthcare and Medicare for senior serving professionals and providers, with your co-hosts, Dr. Alex Moseni and Dr. Amy Schiffman. Visit MasteringMedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. Welcome to another awesome episode of Mastering Medicare. I am here with my co-host, Alex Moseni.
1: Hello. Uh,
0: Hello, Alex. (laughs) Where are you? Your background's amazing. Anyways, um, we are here today to record another amazing How Alex Made a Medical Practice. Uh, If you have any questions about any of our prior podcasts, please go to our masteringmedicare.net website, and you can see all of the amazing things that we've been doing, as well as the first episode of Alex Makes a Medical practice.
1: <laughs> Which I'm, so starting, I'm starting to regret now. <laughs>
0: well, listen, it's only been like two and a half weeks. So, like, the pain can only just be like surface level. Yeah, <laughs>
1: like that's be so that's exactly right.
0: No complaints.
1: <sighs> yeah. So,
0: so where um, are, we? I mean, where did we leave off? I mean, we left off with you. You like started a got an LLC, you like applied to Medicare, but we have no idea how that actually went, Alex. Tell me how applying to Medicare went.
1: Oh, my gosh. I want to pull out my toenails one by one. I mean, it's been so painful.
0: By the way, we've both pulled out people's toenails. That actually kind of thing. It's like jumping on a bag of puppies with, like, high-heeled shoes. It's horrible. Okay. So, right. So, So of course, I got. Okay.
1: So of course, I got an email from the Medicare folks a few days later saying that everything I did was wrong, and
0: <laughs> I have to <laughs> guidance. Super. Okay, keep going. I'd
1: provide all this other information, and um, and so obviously I, I called them and tried to get clarification, and I'm basically in some uh, in, uh, uh, I'm in uh, what is it called in production or in development You're and in development. Yeah. You're in
0: development, but the reason you but let's go back for a second it was that they told you to apply as an individual even though you want to be a bigger practice but then they said no 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 you can't do that you actually have to apply as a business yeah if you want to even though you're only an individual
1: so it's a it's a whole mess but i I, i filled out everything they want me to fill out and uh so we'll see where that goes and i'm uh i've spent the last Week or two, basically getting my Athena uh, instance, my EMR set up, and the folks at Athena have been really great. But I'm actually, um, you know, it's complicated. Getting the EMR set up uh, is a lot more work than I thought it would be. And you're
0: super tech savvy, so that says kind of a lot, actually. If there's somebody who's really tech savvy and they're like, "This is a challenge," that speaks volumes to me. Just want to not have to be tech savvy, huh?
1: Yeah, That's interesting. And it, I, I guess it's mostly because Athena services so many different types of doctors in so many different types of practices, and they mm-hmm. have so they have so many different settings that you have to go through because some doctor at some point requested it, you know.
0: Um, so you're like sorting through prior pain points for other physicians, even though that is nowhere close to where you are. Okay, that's interesting.
1: And um, where Athena is kind of lacking, and I have to, and I'm working with some um, vendors that interact or interface with Athena is on the front end in terms of self-scheduling of patients, you can self-schedule as a patient, but you have as an Athena patient, but you have to log into the Athena portal. And because my focus is Medicare patients, I, I need yeah. I need a workflow that doesn't require a login. So I'm uh, I, I'm working with some other vendors to try to get that set up. And then I'm a pure telemedicine practice, so uh, you know I want a super clean and streamlined onboarding process. And most of my patients are gonna be new. So I want them to fill out their, some kind of pre-reg forms or registration forms and some basic healthcare information all before their visit. And so that's another thing where it's not really built into Athena for the patient to do that all on their own beforehand. You have to attach one of these other vendors. So I've been talking to those guys to get that all set up, which brings Mm -hmm. us to today's topic, which is, Um, once I started kind of going into like, well, what does a patient need to fill out before their appointment? I realized I don't really know. So, um, and this is where there's like privacy policies and, um, uh, what are they called? Um, assignment of benefits and advanced beneficiary notices and all that. And I don't even know which of these apply. And when they do apply, are there standard ones out there? How does one go about getting that done?
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, so that's actually it's really important because when you first start a practice, you're saying to yourself, well, they've kind of agreed to have me see them as a doctor, so isn't that like implied consent? So there's a there was a whole thing when I was first starting my practice about when you go into a patient's home, if they if they let you walk through the door, isn't that implied consent that that you are allowed to treat them? So here's how I see the consent process. It's it's sort of a multi I least love this word multifactorial type of thing. First, you have to agree that the patient can be treated by you medically. Like you have to agree, I allow Dr. Moseni to do some following things on me. And you would say, do a video consult, Um, potentially order labs on me, order x-rays. If there was a face-to-face, you would say, allow him to do a certain types of procedures. Some people would even add, uh, order a flu vaccine. Like you can sort of load up the clinical portion of the consent uh, with all the things that you think you might do for somebody. Does that so sort is, of make sense?
1: Is that the consent to treat? Is that that's what that like, is? That's
0: the consent to treat. So like okay. any anybody who is uh, taking care of patients should make sure that at bare minimum, whether or not they're you know accepting Medicare or accepting any form of insurance, they, they need to make sure that you are allowed to do it. Just as if you were going to go in for a surgery, the surgeon has to say, I, you know, explain, I am going to do, you know, I'm going to cut off your left leg and then I'm going to, you know, clean out your right ear. And so you're sort of agreeing to those specific things. But in, when you're joining a medical practice and, this, you know, people are going to be joining you as a patient to your practice, you have to kind of give them an idea of the types of things that you might do. I'm going to do a telemed visit. Um, I will look at your medications. I may speak to some of your loved ones. You kind of want to give a very broad outlook of the types of activities that you might do clinically. So that's like a first and and you can put this all on the same piece of paper. Right. But of course, it's not going to be a piece. It's going to be like a scroll through or whatever. But you want to make sure that with a single signature, if you possibly can, with maybe some, you know, initialing of different sections that you kind of accomplish all of this in one fell swoop, because the last thing you want to do is go back and forth. Plus, I think in that you'd have to agree that you want to have them do telemed. I mean, if you were going to do it in person. You might actually want to stay in there, because maybe the practice will expand a little bit, and you might say, oh, it would be okay if uh, somebody came to visit me and did look in my ears and did examine me and do an H&P. So... I would take a moment to look at other people's consent to treats online to make sure that it's sort of where you've been. And I'm sure that in other telemed experiences you've had, you sort of have seen consents to treats. You gotta get your consent to treat. That's sort of a blanket statement. Then you have to tell them about the following things. You're gonna say that you um, are gonna be billing their insurance and the type of insurance you're gonna be billing is Medicare some cases, if they do not have secondary insurance for payments up to 20% of the Medicare allowable cost, you have to tell people that there are certain things that you are going to do that they are going to have to potentially pay for. Now, there are there's sort of like the general idea that you're going to bill E&M codes, you know, the general e codes, like that's implied in some ways. Like I've never seen anybody say that you have to say for the following codes, you have to sort of say that we are going to be potentially responsible for the other 20%. But there are specific codes that you must do that for, specifically chronic care management codes and the whole family of chronic care management codes. You may want to say and specifically articulate, I bill chronic care management or I bill certain different chronic care management codes and you'd have to sort of, I have to go back and look up those exact ones Mm -hmm. and you actually have to tell them that you may be responsible for cost sharing for this code up to X amount of dollars. Mm -hmm. Now I've seen it so that people actually specifically delineate the amount. So like in days past when it was just chronic care management and it was a single 20 minute code, you would say to the patient, you may be responsible for a 20% payment up to $9.49, and every single year you would change that amount. Sure. But in all likelihood, you, you, those people are not going to be responsible for it. But you, it, Medicare is really funny in that they, they demand for certain codes that you inform them of the potentiality for cost sharing, which I find to be kind of obnoxious because it turns people off to certain things that you really want them to do because you know it's good care. Like, mm-hmm. you know... Somehow you don't tell them they're going to be responsible for 20% off the cost of like an X-ray or uh, another E&M code or whatever it might be. But suddenly for all the good stuff, like maybe I think even RPM, they may have to have informed consent. There's all these different codes that are the ones that make sense to us, to you and me. That's sort of the, the, the growing number of codes that are part of that global sort of how to take the best care of patients. You now have to tell them, oh, and by the way, you might be responsible for 20% of the cost of this. And then the person sort of questions whether or not they wanna participate in chronic care management, whether they wanna participate in these really fruitful code sets that, that you know is the right thing, which puts you a little bit behind the eight ball because now you're suddenly having to say, well, do you have a secondary insurance? Well, yes, sir, I do have a secondary insurance. And you say, well, you know, it's very likely that your secondary insurance will pay. And then they get into this whole thing. Well, what happens if they don't pay? And then you go, well, if they don't pay, this is how much it's going to cost. And then suddenly you're talking about money with the patient and you're like, you know, it sort of can – muddy the waters of just getting them started with what I think would be the good care but you do have to inform the patient that you will it's it's not necessarily an assignment of benefits maybe I'm maybe I'm mistaken when I say this but when I think of assignment of benefits I think of part a which is I am assigning my benefits to hospice that or I'm assigning my benefits to the hospital or am I assigning my benefits to the nursing home the post you know through the rehab facility so that's what I think of when I think of assignment of benefits But I I mean, basically, you have to say that you will bill their insurance company, which in this particular case is Medicare, and that for certain codes, they may be responsible for cost sharing. And then you have to probably tell them that if their insurance company doesn't pay either their Medicare or their secondary insurance, that you will, in fact, have to balance bill them because that is otherwise illegal. So you have to kind of talk about. You know, the responsibility for the financial aspects of it, and which is, you know, sometimes you can get as nasty in that consent form as, and if you don't pay me within 60 days, it will be a 20% increase every 30 days thereafter, and, you know, it can get all yucky. But you can also just say, we will b- balance bill you. Um, a lot of people do that, and, you know, they they balance bill the patient as many times as they can, and then when they don't pay, well, then it is what it is. But, You know, I don't think a lot a lot of doctor's practices don't necessarily go after, um, you know, recoupment in the same way that maybe a hospital might or a big, big doctor's practice might. But
1: yeah, assignment of benefits, my understanding is that means that instead of the insurance company paying the patient, they're paying the provider. Right.
0: Oh, yeah. So so I can see it in both ways. Like the the assignment of benefits I sometimes think of as. Well, it's who Part A is going to pay in that particular case. I'm assigning my benefits to hospice. So in your case, you are assigning the Part B benefits to you for this particular set of services that I guess you are providing. They're so allowing had, you to bill their insurance company.
1: So how are you? How did you get these forms? Uh, is the workflow that you oh, just yeah. have to find a healthcare attorney to prepare these for you, or can you get these kind of pre-made ones? Or
0: there's so many like you could I mean it sounds really terrible but sometimes imitation is the best form of flattery and you can just look on pretty much any single doctor's practice and they've many of them have their forms that they just download Um, the American Academy of Family AAFP has a bunch of forms that are just Mm -hmm. like this Um, I will tell you that um, as part of when when chronic care management rolled out um, we did sort of like write the language into our consent forms and did give it to a consultant to make sure it met the language right. that Medicare was looking for, because we didn't want to say, we did not want to be too broad and we didn't want to be too specific. So when chronic care management came out, we said, please be informed that we, because you actually have to ask the of their permission to participate in chronic care management. And by doing so, they have to basically acknowledge that they are responsible for the other 20%. Right. Because otherwise you can't, it, it, it made it it was such a pain in the double ass i mean it was just it was not easy to sort of it sort of stopped people in their tracks they're like sure sign signs oh, wait what is this like suddenly you're right. asking me to participate in chronic care management why are I, why am i not automatically enrolled if you if your practice does chronic care management meaning they bill medicare for you know certain services that they provide in order to provide you know good care for you why do you have to agree to that because you're going to do that same crap anyway right so you know it, it's certainly something to think about i don't know what's happening and with the emergency you know whether or not you have to still go through this Michigas, but like it certainly seems to me that um if you have some language that you're not totally sure about it's always worth it to ask an attorney and as we always go back is thank god we're not lawyers yeah um, So, yeah, but I would say, you know, imitation is a very nice form of flattery and you can certainly look at a lot of doctor's practices to see how they've done it in the past. Um, and you can refer, and by the way, that sort of brings me to the next thing is you can refer to your um, HIPAA compliance or any FAQs in that document and then refer them to your website. They don't necessarily have to sign the uh, HIPAA acknowledgement. Um, at least that was never how I did it. It was mm. just that they acknowledged that they could find it mm. um, on the website. Um, it did. Well, that's smart. Yeah. They can go look at it if they want it. Right. Uh, I have had in doctor offices where I do have to sign their HIPAA information, um, but then they let you take those documents with you. So it seems like you just have to acknowledge that you have had access to them. Right. The, the, the tiny little, you know, four point font, you know, that little thing. Yeah.
1: But it. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the American Academy of Family uh, Practice. So are you a member of AFP?
0: I am not, but they have a lot of great free resources. Yeah. I mean, through the American Academy of Home Care Medicine, there were some resources um, there was some mind share there, but I think that the AFP has been a real resource um, for just a like a lot of doctors, no matter what their specialty is.
1: Yeah Cool. okay. Um, that is awesome. So um, I gotta <laughs> I wanna share this story. So you know it it took me about two or three weeks to get set up on Athena. and so I, I called my dad and I said, you know can we can we do it like a test? Encounter, I want to okay. register, you know, register. Yeah. and just like every other EMR I've interacted with, you know, you go through all the training and then all of a sudden you're all alone trying to do it yourself. <laughs> and I had no idea. I I, I was so frustrated. Um, and it's not the Athena folks fault. It's like when it's a totally new interface, like I did not know how to add a person, a patient. I did not. I, I couldn't get him registered. Um, even once I got him registered, uh, uh, I had no idea how to start the clinical encounter and start documenting, and uh, it just shows you that e- even when you choose an EMR that is uh, head and shoulders better than what we experience in the hospital environment, there's still a lot to that to be des- left to be desired. And during this time, I thought to myself. W- why can nothing be as simple as paper? On paper, it is so obvious what you have to do. The workflow is self-evident. It, it, it requires zero frustration. So this is where like, remember if you look back at kind of iPhone design over the years, uh, earlier there was what they called the skeuomorphic design, which I think it means like it it replicates or reflects the physical world. Like the address book actually looks like a book you know what I'm saying? Oh, right. And, so it, and, uses,
0: it uses cognitive cueing in a way yeah. that's really, yeah, yeah. Right.
1: And so although it might look kind of dorky or whatever, if somebody created
0: um,
1: an EMR that truly kind of reflected what we're used to doing on paper, that's probably the best way of doing this. And anything outside of that is just, why, yeah, like, why?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we've all used different things. Like, I don't know, we used T sheets for a while. Oh, which, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, hats off to some guys at Suburban Hospital for inventing that one. I don't remember. Really? It was like, yeah, yeah. That, it I didn't was, know that. I, I, I don't know if the whole tea sheets, but like they had used it. There was a special thing that we used that was like tea sheets, but then used like a funky pen and then it like right. pushed it up. It was, it was just so easy, which brings me to the idea. Like we are so stuck in this idea that, You know, there has to be choice. Sometimes less choice is better. Imagine or like here is a you know, a it's like a digital EMR in a box and it only does two things. You can either do it this way or you can do it that way. And then just sometimes choice makes things really emotionally really difficult because you're like, wait. I have to choose, I have so many choices to make about like what what things I want up here and what things I want down here and how do I want the template right. to look? I mean, sometimes you're just like, give me the template. I will just follow whatever rules you set out for me. I mean, I think yeah. that choice is not always so great. Um, yeah. The other thing that I, you and I have talked about, which I mean, if anyone from Medicare ever listened to this, I would be like so delighted. But the idea that if you're going to do a telemed visit Why can the Telemed visit not just be the documentation for that visit? And you could just go from visit to visit to visit and you don't have to document anything because you pretty much it's all there. Here's your physical visit. Yeah. As long as it's recorded, it should just be the representation of that visit. And I think for a while there, I was using Dr. Chrono and I think they had kind of like had that in mind with Google Glass, and like they had integrated with Google Glass so that you had like little camera here. And I think that a lot of doctors were trying to do that. They were trying to record it. But I think the idea send it up to a scribe who would then turn that video visit into sort of a 95, 97 EMR, like a documentation e visit but it would be kind of great is if there was some sort of movement away from the written documentation that just took a video visit and just whether it's in person or on the computer and just said boom here it is i mean that would be kind of cool can can athena listen to your visit and fill in the critical elements of like 95 or 97 documentation do you think it could do that if you I, list, I, like if you cue it and say physical exam, regular physical exam, or something like that, except blah, 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 could it automatically put that stuff in there?
1: There's stuff like that. I mean, e- even the clunky hospital EMRs uh, allow some variation of that with, oh, right. with Epic and Meditech and stuff. Um, but I, I, you know what I really wish? I really wish that somebody created a way for me to document on paper, you know because I could document an entire encounter in under 60 seconds on paper. And then with, let like, me with just-
0: like check boxes? Yeah,
1: chick, 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 chick. And then, you know, all I need is like three sentences. Turn,
0: and, then turn, and then turn it into actual words.
1: Yeah, and then, and then turn it into what the EMR needs in order to do its billing and all that crap, right? But take me away from the clicking. It's, it's and and it's not the clicking that's the problem. It's the like oh my gosh, where where do I where do I document this? Where do I write this? Am I doing this the fastest way? I'm constantly asking myself, am I really? doing this the best way, the only way I know how is I gotta click through these four things and scroll all the way down, that's how I started. And I gotta remember now, right? The cognitive load of trying to remember, how do I do this, how do, I, I never have to think about that on paper.
0: So it would be interesting to say that you have learned helplessness then, that there's a certain amount of clicking And I actually, Alex, this is a perfect thing for you. Put something on your screen that says, remember when something is inefficient, because we do get used to these massively inefficient systems and just work around it cognitively. We cognitively work around and be like, well, it took 21 clicks to do that. Oh, well. And then we just sort of learn to accept that as the norm because we're so we're just creatures and we just realize we have no power. So it would be interesting in the process of this, as you are sort of a systems and efficiency buff to remember if something is really hard to kind of have at it and say, why did that take so long? Is there a way to make that one? Is there a way to save a second here? Was there a way to save two seconds? Cause each of those seconds we all know is like a tremendous amount of pro- like cognitive yeah. processing, even though yeah. it only is a second of time. So yeah. Interesting. Well, you'll have to see how that goes. I mean, what I find interesting is that there is still no, like, start a, and this is, of course, I think where we're headed with this, start a, uh, you know, a a, a telemed practice in a box, you know, that nobody has said to themselves, wow, you know, let's take a easily accessible commercial grade um, EMR and make it really easy for a doctor to just completely convert to telemed. But I guess maybe that will come over time because a lot has happened in the past eight weeks, right? People yeah. pivot, pivoted in ways they didn't anticipate and have had to adjust. And I'm sure the EMR's development teams have not necessarily caught up to it. It's been a lot of workarounds. Yeah. Is it? Do you and feel I, that?
1: Do you feel yeah, that? Yeah, totally. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I've had several doctors come to me and I just spoke to several of them over the last uh, week or so saying that hey listen i have my brick and mortar job or whatever but i want to create my own solo telemedicine practice i don't want to work for you know one of the big four billion dollar companies on telemedicine i want my own practice because i know how to acquire some patients here myself uh, but i want it to be completely streamlined i don't want to have to pay for a a bunch of office staff and all that so um, i actually had a wonderful discussion with a nephrologist uh, who's trying to do that and he chose completely different EMR and set up for me. So um, so we, he and I are going to keep in touch because I'm really curious, you know, what's his experience in terms of trying to create a, a single doc, pure telemedicine practice oh, wow. with zero office staff. You know, and in fact, another idea came out of that, which is. What if we created a little like consortium of solo telemedicine practitioners? Because he, you know, he told me, he's like, hey, listen, if I have an urgent care case, I'm happy to send that to you. And if you have a nephrology case, send it to me, you know? Uh, oh, so yeah. we could create yes. our own I little. Love it. Mayo our own, Clinic. That's right. Our own little network of uh, solo telemedicine doctors with their, you know. And so, anyways, so some new things are starting to kind of formulate in my head. And, um, It'd be awesome to be able to support the ability of doctors to to do that.
0: Well, I think that's really cool. Uh, so basically what we're telling the audience right now is if you are thinking of starting a solo telemedicine practice, join the Mastering Medicare, uh, join the Mastering Medicare Consortium. That would yeah. be very cool. Yeah, yep. absolutely. And I think, can you imagine, it's like a subspecialty group. Oh, we've got a guy, we've got a guy, we've got a guy, we've got a guy. I like it. I yeah. like it. Oh, there's never an end. <laughs> there's never an end. Yeah, love it. All right, so wait, where? So we basically we got you through. You've got your Medicare is in development. Ah, uh, you've got your tele, telemed product has been so um, selected, I guess through Athena. You've decided, or
1: I, you have
0: not
1: Okay, I'm still testing. I'm playing okay, around. Okay, still with, testing.
0: With, I love it. I I'm love it. Too. But playing you, around you got with Athena. Doxy. I oh,
1: got no, Athena. Doxy. Okay. So what there's, I guess, three pieces that are not totally set yet for me. One is self-scheduling of appointments because I I don't like or want the Athena module. You know, one of the key things that's missing from Athena, the scheduling piece, is like I want the schedule in my scheduling system to look at my Google Calendar and say, wait a second, uh, Alex is already blocked off from 12 to 2 in the appointments there. I have to – I don't want to manually – go in and do that, because I do a lot of stuff other than this, right? So it's not like I'm just a doctor from nine to five. So so one one piece that's still to be figured out is self-scheduling. I'm playing around with a tool called Cogsworth, which has a HIPAA-compliant self schedule which I really, really like, but it's still missing a few things. The second is um, going through all the registration, the kind of pre-visit, paperwork and maybe even getting some of the pre-visit clinical information, what's your chief complaint, medications, allergies, all that garbage. Like, I'd love to get that done before the visit and in a self-service way. And the third is the actual video, like HIPAA compliant video piece. So those are the three elements that I'm trying to figure out. There's some solutions that claim they do it all. I just talked to one of them. They're okay. So anyways, that's, that's what I'm still trying to figure out
0: so what's gonna what's gonna be happening? would you say in the next week? When we tune in next week to see the Alex makes a practice uh, update, yeah. where sh- where do you want to be in a week?
1: Uh, in a week, I want to have had at least, let's say three to five telemedicine counters with whatever system I put together so that I can kind of just you know talk about how it went.
0: Oh, my God. That's so awesome. So if somebody wants to refer a patient to you because they listen to it today, but in yeah. general, how could how could you get a referral from somebody who's a listener? Because you're yeah. going to be taking care of people just right now. We're going to we're focusing on uh, D.C. metro area. That's p- pretty much it.
1: Well, so a funny thing has happened. So I'm already getting some referrals for cash payments, pay cash patients in other states, which oh, nice. I'm licensed in most states. Uh, and, but if if you have Medicare, then I'm limited right now to kind of Maryland, D.C., um, and the website is canarydoc.com, canaryd.o.c.com.
0: Oh, I love it. Okay, so next week the updates. You can get your three to five patients. I'm so excited. Okay, fine. We'll we'll hear about the disasters next week. All right. So uh, signing off again, this is Mastering Medicare. You can reach us at masteringmedicare.net. We are an amazingly fun group of people slash me and Alex who are going through Medicare little by little and watching Alex make a practice and learning about all the other uh, parts of Medicare and how uh, senior serving professionals and how even just adult caregivers of aging parents or anybody who wants to learn more about Medicare. So signing off. See you Shout. next week. Shout that yeah. out. Bye. You have been listening to the Mastering Medicare podcast. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources.